0: Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarro. Today, my guest is John Sindler. Welcome. Hey, Matt. So you're down here from Seattle. You and I are sitting in Ace Hotel, where pause and error um, happened in the past. I know. I get a little bit of comfort every time I come back here. I love it. And maybe someday pause and error will happen here again? Never. No, sure. I hope so. Soon. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and we're, you and I are working on the next version of FM Search Results, version three, which is supposed to be coming out in the next maybe a month or so. Yeah, if we get our, get our stuff in gear. Yeah. I didn't really want to talk too much about the features of that yet, because I want to sort of hold that until we actually ship it. There may be more things we cut, more things we add between now and then.
1: Cutting. but Cutting is the true work of getting a product out the door. There was an awesome quote you told me earlier today. What was that? That was from Dreaming and Code, right? It was like something to the, to the lines of, if you're not cutting features that the team really cares about, you're not serious about shipping. Love that so much. Yeah. It's, it's a good little litmus test, you know? Otherwise, you're still kind of playing in the fun. You're having fun with your product and sometimes it's time to stop having fun and get it out the door.
0: And did we cut features we really care about? I think we did.
1: I think we cut a couple. We had a great moment where, you, where I was about to announce that we'd found a bug, and you announced that we'd found a way out of a problem, and, and actually it was a feature. So I, given the choice, I, I went with the feature interpretation.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. So what I
1: wanted to talk with you about today is a few
0: topics, but one of them is uh, what are the successful ways that you work with other developers, uh, whether they're really experts or clients or... Yeah, and sort of just talk about that. I think we should also ask Siri about that.
1: Yeah. Checking my sources. I don't know that. Would you like to search the web for it? Real helpful there. But I I do think it's interesting that we chose to do this in person. Like, you and I chose to do this in person. I took the train up from, uh, from Seattle, down from Seattle, so that we could work on the next version of search results together. You know, as opposed to setting files back and forth or putting a wiki up and tackling the to-do list that way. There's something about being in the same room with somebody when you're building a product. And once it's at this stage, that's really helpful. I mean, it seems that's why we did the last one, right?
0: Yes, definitely. So working together as opposed to the other many different ways that a lot of people really like to work. You talk to other developers. There are developers I know and respect who only ever talk to their clients on the phone. They don't go there. They stay in their city. They support people all over the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, there's a difference between delivering custom work for a client and delivering products. You know, search results as a product. Uh, Is there
0: that much of a difference? I mean, you're still trying to really, you're really working very squarely on code and, and, and stuff like that. I think it might be a personality thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I know there's some folks I know who spend a lot of time on site with the client. And I definitely think that there's no substitute for that. I mean, it, it just seems that the client gets better software when you are there, you know, when you're doing the work there. Well, that's one of the things I feel really strongly about. So I think I've talked about it on the
0: podcast before, but one of, the, one of the more strange, weird things about me is I like to do what I call like performance programming, where half of the code I write or more is being written while the customer's watching. Well, that's just, that's just because of your need for approval, Matt. Uh, you know, I, maybe that's true.
1: <laughs> but I mean, it's, that's cool, right? You're very fast. I mean, of the people that I've sat next to and kind of tried to write the same script together, you're probably the fastest
0: uh, developer I know. That's a nice thing to say.
1: Mm. Of all the three of them? <laughs> of all the three people who will get in the same room with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe
0: I've developed speed just, you know, well, maybe because I've been developing on maker for 25 years. Maybe because of that constant pressure over the years of liking to write code in front of people, I get, I've developed this habit of thinking through a problem really quickly ruling out the ways that I don't think are going to work, and starting down the process of doing it.
1: But also, you're just, you're just practically fast. Like, so we'll be talking about writing a script, and as I'm saying what I think you, we should be coding, you're coding jokes into the script parameter, backing them out, and still beating me to the punchline, right? I mean, you're, you're fast. And not just a fast typist, but like, you know, you're just a fast coder. It's not I think, it's a curse, it's a curse.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, the funny thing is, you know, so much of the time when I'm coding, I'm really frustrated because I can't go faster, 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 because it's still nowhere near as fast as I'm thinking. Uh, you know, especially when the keyboard shifted a little bit because you're showing someone else your screen. Right,
1: right. Yeah. I don't know, for me, I never, I never worry that I can't type fast enough, because I'm always afraid that I'm outrunning something, that I'm not thinking about it clearly enough, I haven't paused enough, I haven't stopped to reflect enough. So going too fast is really an issue for me. But it's interesting because when there are two people. So when we sat down this morning, we started out each working on our own scripts. And then we kind of closed my laptop and put both eyes on your, so four eyes, one keyboard, uh, both eyes on your script. And that really helped, right? And I think that's a good, that we work together that way pretty well.
0: Another way we've worked really effectively is both having the file, the same file open and shared. So we're connected to a FileMaker server or you know share the file locally or whatever. So we can actually work on different aspects of it at the same time.
1: Yeah, I and mean, we weren't doing that much today. What Today's division of labor was kind of you were the primary developer and I was doing research. So if we needed to find out which subscript did it, I looked that up or how many instances or what did we call that variable or what was the stack. I was doing the research and you were doing the coding. So you're writing the script and whenever you needed a var... Or something. I was trying to feed that stuff to you, and that worked pretty well.
0: Yeah, it did, and we traded hats too. So sometimes you go, "Oh, I can do that more quickly," and you just took over the keyboard, and I took a nap.
1: Yeah, you have different priorities, right? And I remember we'd have a little bit of deprecated code that we'd left in there, and I kept wanting to come back to it and come back to it because I was afraid that, like, three years from now, I'd just find it in there, and you were like, "Slow down, man. Let me let me do something else." <laughs> so it's it's hard to find somebody that you can work with like that. There are very few people. I've I've done that with Todd Geist, who's also incredibly fast and like frighteningly quick. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It's really productive to have somebody sitting next to you, not just cause you make fewer syntactical errors, but their kind of their positional awareness. Plus your positional awareness means that you have a much more respect for the effects of what you're doing. Cause somebody else is kind of looking out for them.
0: You know, that code speed thing. Um, I, I perceive that your code writing skills are actually much faster than mine. So I think there's a big amount of perception going on there.
1: That could be. You mean that like coffee always tastes better at your friend's house? Yeah, yeah. I
0: think when you're sitting next to someone who's at your same level of coding, you're going to perceive that they're much faster than you.
1: Maybe, because all you see is the execution. You don't see the stumbling over in their mind and stuff.
0: Right, and you also own, um, a selective uh, observation or whatever. You're, you're only observing the things that they do quickly. There's a psychological term for that. I can't remember. But you're not noticing when they're thinking about it and not typing. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that.
1: I I think it's it's interesting that you do this in front of the customer. Because I think a lot of FileMaker developers have this kind of love-hate relationship with the speed of FileMaker execution. So... On the one hand, we live and die by the fact that you can make changes very quickly in FileMaker. Yet when our customer comes to us and say, "Hey, can you do this? That should only take a second. Our hair bristles, right? Cuz we're like, "Hey, don't, you know, don't tell me what only takes a second. What I do is very valuable and, you know, we charge for our time. You should pay what it's worth." So, how do you balance that thing between like knocking out some incredibly valuable feature for them in the blink of an eye and then, you know, managing expectations? I mean, if they see you knock something out really quick, like how do you is that an issue at all or am I just I generally don't bill by the hour and And actually all i
0: I guess by working at vertical markets for so long, all I really care about is the success of the product at the end and whether it's adopted. okay, so my primary goals are number one, far over everything else adoption. I want the program that I'm writing to be used, and I want it to outlive my work on it so that you know it, it actually solves the problem in such a meaningful way that all the people using it really like it, and they keep using it, and they don't replace it with something else.
1: So just performance programming, like working in front of the customer and having them watch those lines go into the scripts, does that help adoption? Hugely. They're because they're kind of making it,
0: right? Well, yeah. So they actually have a vested interest because they're the subject matter expert. They understand the thing much more than I do. And so I'm learning about public health and epidemiology and medicine and all this stuff, uh, disease transmission. I, I know some cool stuff about how diseases are transmitted that I never even thought I'd ever know in my life. Um, but the other thing is, they're getting training in FileMaker. So I'm going a little bit slower than I would, if, maybe a lot slower than I would if I was alone doing the same work because I'm talking through, oh, yeah, yeah. So the way we need to do that particular feature is we have to create a uh, you know, a relationship that does this and the relationship's based on this yeah. field here. And then even though I normally don't ever like to use a unstored calculation, this is a place you'd really want to use that. And talking about the rules of why you do the things that you do. So they're getting huge training. Plus, they're actually... Contributing to it and I'll ask them a question. It's like, okay, well if we do that it's gonna that's gonna mean this particular trade-off If we we store that data flattened and not in a relational way That means that we're not gonna be able to report on that data later on Um, However, what we will get is we'll be able to get it in a list where you can see
1: those different things because it's flattened and then let them decide Yeah I love doing that kind of thing like when we're coaching somebody, you know, somebody will buy our calendar and they'll need help doing X and they'll say, well, you know, instead of just doing it, can you show me how to do it? That's really satisfying, you know, but I find that our, our developer customers like that kind of coaching stuff. But when we're working, you know, when we're doing custom development, that our constituencies, they, they don't really have the time to, to sit and watch us write scripts. What other ways do you work? Do you, do you work with some people like me and
0: Todd and others um, uh, with like a video chat where you've got an iChat video or Skype video and you're actually looking at each other and also sharing a screen?
1: Yeah, but never, we usually don't write scripts like that. Like today, you and I were like writing code and debugging. We were in the weeds, you know, pair programming, like four eyes, one keyboard. Um, so when, you know, if Jason and I are looking at something, we'll often go over behaviors together. Or look at screens and talk about how something should look or act. But I never really write scripts with somebody else unless we're right next to each other. I I don't know. I mean, have you you ever done that? Um, Yeah, but since so much of the stuff I do is with
0: people right next to them, um, I don't do that much of of the video thing because I really like being in the room.
1: But, you know, it's it's interesting – I find that with developers that aren't in the, like, you know, if one of our developers is working on a spec, we're never, I'm almost never looking at their code. I mean, partly because they're working in a framework, so I kind of know how they're doing script parameters and I know how they're, you know, they're working in seed code complete. Um, So I know they haven't gone completely off the reservation and like invented some library to open windows, right? Because we have a little routine for that. We're getting um, videos from them. So we have this nice workflow where the developer makes me a video to show me what they've done, and then I make a video for the customer to show the customer what we've done. And it, it's two things. It gives me a very quick way to review the developer's work. I don't have to open the solution, log in, find some correct data that's in this case, make the changes. I can just watch the video. And you get a tremendous... Plus, as the developer makes the video, of course, they catch all these things that they wouldn't normally catch, like tab order, object resizing, and all this stuff. Do they talk through the video, or...? is? they narrate the use case, right? So they, they uh, take on the persona of the user and do whatever the task is, like just make a new invoice or duplicate an invoice. And then when I get that, so they don't have to make it for the customer, so they can talk about things they're uncertain of and whatever. And then when I make it for the customer, all that uncertainty is removed and sometimes I catch things for the customer as I'm making the video. Um, but it's interesting, you can just hear, like when the developer sends you a video and they're apologizing for something, you don't have to look under the code, you know that there's something they're unsure about and you should talk about it. And It's been, it's been very efficient so far and so right now in Fog Bugs our bug tracker, we can look at every closed case and find a short video of the case's resolution. That's been, I don't know, so far it's been very, very helpful. And it's also kind of like the new testing, right? Like you can't test your own work, but if you're kind of performing your own work, right, like you're demoing it and recording it, that, that's a different kind of testing. It automatically moves you out of the coding mind into the user mind.
0: So the video can really be a demonstration of the working of the feature, not a recording of the actual fixing of the, of the bug.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So these videos aren't like showing me script lines and stuff. It's just as the user experiences the feature.
0: I also use Fog Bugs. I love that idea. I think we should maybe start doing that. Yeah, because I think it. You know, it's it's an obvious repository of a place you can put it. The original person who reported the bug gets to see that it, see it back because it's automatically sent to them an email. Does Fog Bugs limit
1: how much data you can store? So we don't record. We just have a jing. You know, so we have a screen, you know, screencast.com. It's just a link to the, to the video that we've recorded. The other place that's really been nice is um, somebody will buy our calendar, and they'll want us to make a little mod. And we'll describe the mod in a couple of paragraphs. We'll execute the mod. And then a year later, they'll come back and say, hey, you know that mod you did for us? We love it, but we'd like to change X. Now, before we had – so now we have a video of the mod as demonstrating what we changed them. Before that, I had to find their file, find their login, open their file, look through all the layouts, read the description of what we did. It was very hard for me to remember what we did. And then I had to compare like, what we said we'd do like in the description with what we actually did in the file. And now I watch a, a one-minute video and I'm completely caught up you know, on what we did for them. What do you use to record the videos? So for uh, simple stuff, we use Jing and it goes right to screencast.com. It's been huge. We even use that for little even. I'll paste little video links in chat to say, hey, this is a behavior I have a question about. And then for anything big, of course, we use ScreenFlow.
0: What, what about you? Well, ScreenFlow uh, is all I have. I don't have Jing. So like when I do a video of a demo, I've I've posted several of them on YouTube of demos of products that I've done. So, for example, if you want to go look and see how you enter an STD case in Orpheus, you can search for it on YouTube right now and it's there. <laughs> all fake data. Excellent. <laughs> Hundreds and thousands
1: of people are doing that right now.
0: Um, yeah, actually, I think the count of the videos... I
1: watch them to see if which ones are actually getting watched. They've been watched like thirty times. I think I may may have mentioned this before, but you know we have a video. Um, we have tons of product videos and help videos for our calendar and everything. But we recorded one very early in the uh, FileMaker Go product cycle when uh, Todd Guys first figured out how to do signature capture. This is way before it was in the product. And it's this terrible video. It was shot at the wedge in a crowded room. It was very dark. And all you can see is Todd's kind of finger doing this thing. And the title of the video is FileMaker Go uh, Signature Capture on iPad. And that little video has more views than all the seed code uh, instructional videos and demos combined. Just tons. And I think the reason is is that there's something... It's just incredibly compelling about that little thing, the act of signing, the act of signature capture on the iPad. I think mean, it brings together the fact that the iPad can interact with real things in the world and can interact with money, right? It's about selling. There's, there's something about the signature mm-hmm. that's like about and it just It's that whole
0: sign-off and right, and it's actually wow, I can actually store all my customer signature capture. So I mean having a signature capture in an iPad app's no big deal, but actually have that go to your database in a way that you could not really ever easily track that in your database before and, and do it in a way that's completely understandable. I think that's kind of the magic of signature capture.
1: Yeah, there's something about it that just lets people know that, oh, this is bridging the gap between the physical world and the database world. And it's a, it's a, the iPad is a conduit for that uh, transmission. It seems to really hook up. So I've, I've been recommending to people whenever they're demoing iPad solutions for their customers, whether it re- requires to demo the signature capture thing, because it seems to trigger something in the human brain to just make the connection between, oh, right, this thing will let me do, will let me bridge the gap. Yeah, maybe
0: taking a photo of it because it's an actual camera device you can aim, you know?
1: Yeah, right, right. Any of those things that kind of work with the, with the real world. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, it's funny, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, programming and stuff. And so much of the work we do on Go is about look and feel and trying to get the behaviors right. Most of the pair programming that you and I have done has been, like, scripting stuff. We haven't done a lot of layout work in common. I think that's the most common way I work with developers is we'll pick some kind of clean division of labor and then just go away and work. You know, Someone will work on a feature, somebody else will work on another, or someone will do the UI, and someone will do the scripts, and then we get back together. I think that's a little more common.
0: Well, you and I do have that division of labor. I mean, I really defer on almost all
1: UI aspects of search results to you. Yeah, that's true. That's true, but we don't feel the need to get in the to take a train up and talk about UI. We just kind of split it up and do it. Yep. Yeah, because I pr- trust
0: you implicitly to do that and do it beautifully because <laughs> your layouts are. I think you and Matt Petrowski, if you guys had to fight, look who makes more beautiful layouts. I think you'd win, but it's hard to say.
1: Because I have four arms. That's why I'd win. You know, Todd. We, Todd and I were doing a, a, a revision of our example file for Gozink, and Todd has been doing a ton of layout work on it. He's made this kind of beautiful theme, and it's really. I never you know, I don't think he thinks of himself as a UI guy, but he's really gotten into this, and it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, I don't know. Either what what are the when you work with other developers or subcontractors that have reported to you? I mean, how do you how do you sit down with them and go over a script? Is it like what we do, or you do something else? No, I
0: definitely really do that pair programming thing, kind of like what you and I do, where I am basically sitting in them and looking at it either on my computer or on their computer based on the speed, right? So I either go in fast mode or slow mode, and Or really slow mode, right? So fast mode would be me and someone like Tom Fitch that's sitting at my computer or at his computer. We're basically going full tilt, you know, we're short circuiting, uh, slower mode would be me with a client who's not really an expert at file maker.
1: Do you do the, 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 do you do the move
0: for the client? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I definitely do little hand signals if I'm waiting on something. I know it's going to take two seconds. I I basically take out my little you know magic wand. Matt or, does
1: the jazz. <laughs> if you have ever seen Matt do this thing when, when like he knows in two seconds the screen's going to pop up. He does this quick like jazz hands thing, and then the screen pops up, and his clients are like amazed. It's
0: really hard to describe on a podcast, and, and I'm a little embarrassed about it, but you know it's it's, it's I like, fun. I
1: like to tease you about it. You're, you 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 act like Tesla, you know, bridging the gap to the, to the computer
0: let's see the uh, and then if I'm if I'm working with a client um, that really wants to learn it you know so a lot of my clients just love FileMaker and they really want to know it and they don't want to watch me do it on my computer because then they don't learn so we go out of my area we go to their computer they sit on their computer and I sit behind them and don't touch the keyboard or mouse and
1: tell them what to do do you
0: have to do you have to sit on your hands and take a laudanum I do I have to really <laughs> slow down so what I do is I, I I really slow down and talk through the process and say okay what we're trying to do here is we need to do this which means we need to What? Make a script, make a layout. You know, where's the thing? And let them sort of solve the problem a little bit their own. Yeah. And then when we get to the point of actually coding it, you know, just sort of shut up and let them do it. And 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 then when they do that a couple times doing that, they don't need to bug you for that thing anymore because they get it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's cool. The number of times we've done coaching sessions and someone's watched me write a script or something where I'm kind of going a little slower and narrating it, they really enjoy it and they, I know, they're coming for you. And they. They enjoy learning about that as part of FileMaker, but that's not something they really retain.
0: Those of you who are driving, that cop is not coming after you. It's outside the window. We're, you know, as I said, in the Ace Hotel in Portland.
1: Yeah. When you and I do this, we're not trying to train each other, right? We're just trying to get the script done as quickly as possible. True, although, actually, I picked up some pretty cool tips from you today, and I think I ta- taught you one or two things you didn't know before. Absolutely, although I'm probably going to forget all those weird keyboard shortcuts, you know. <laughs> My FileMaker programming habits were developed, like, 20 years ago, and they have never changed. It's sad. Spend some more time with Tom Fitch because he's awesome at all those little things. Oh yeah, yeah. Is, is he really quick with that stuff? Yeah,
0: he, he is always on the on the um, on the make for learning new things. So things like on the Mac, if you uh, t- if you want to type is not equal, you can type Option equals, and that's a sh- shortcut for that character. Yes, yeah. The paragraph character Option seven, you know, and I think Windows has a lot of shortcuts to those things as well.
1: So, yeah, my, my shortcuts. And then there are people who come up with these, script, you know, these little custom functions for P for, like, get script parameter and have all the text spander and stuff. I, I, can't, I, I just can't use any of that stuff. The only shortcuts I have, I think I told you, is I've made some custom functions for the, custom, for the functions I misspell a lot, like isempty and parameter. <laughs> I love that. Functions that are misspelled that actually just run the regular thing. They just run the regular thing. I would never put that in production code, but it's, it's kind of, it makes me happy. That's a huge
0: amount of it is that that's why I do like the joking thing as I'm sitting there programming and I type a joke, you yeah. know, if John equals smart, and then I delete that and type the actual function.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, you do. It was pretty funny today. I remember years ago, we delivered something. This is a long time ago. And, uh, we had some comments in there that were, you know, just for us and they were a little profane and the customer found them and they were so angry. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really, really felt that like, it not only oh. meant that you know, the code might not have been treated as carefully as it should have, but that we didn't take them seriously. And, uh, ever since then, I've just been very, even when it comes to sample data and stuff, I've just been very sensitive about making sure that the stuff that gets to the customer is very, um, I don't know, very sanitized. And then you're no longer hired to do work for the Catholic church anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But, um, no, it's funny, you know, and like in these movies, right, you know, we're always, you know, using the customer's data for, for those movies, right, so they, um, Alvarez used to call it the narcissist Factor, right, when the customer recognizes themselves in the program, they kind of feel really good, mm-hmm. um, but it's also just, it's showing, it's just deferring to them, you know, if you, if you always bring up your fake data or God forbid your record or, you know, you're importing a photo and you bring in a photo of yourself or something, I don't know, maybe I'm overly sensitive to that, but that's just not, it's not putting the customer first. So you just
0: have photos of all of your customers on your hard
1: drive then? (laughs) Because that's
0: creepy in a totally different way. That would be completely creepy.
1: No, it's terrible. You always do that, right? You go to insert a PDF to show them that it works, and you bring up some horribly inappropriate PDF. uh,
0: Yeah, some random thing. I mean, I don't have a whole lot, you know?
1: No, I know. But I'm always like, I don't know, my mom's tax dispute with the IRS is, you know, now on some video on YouTube forever.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. I get that. I mean, the whole thing of really involving the customer is, it is really important to have them, you know, the narcissist factor, they can see themselves and I like that. But uh, I think there's other aspects of, of how that can work because really, well, with public health, I'm mean, going to have to work with sample data and it's fake. And yeah. usually we spend a lot of time actually on that whole serious thing. I, I, I take the opposite tack. I think people really appreciate, most people really appreciate most people who aren't accountants and don't use Windows really like the humor and the, and the levity, and in a really professional environment that looks
1: perfect, a dialogue box comes up and says, what were you thinking? Are you crazy? I like the humor. But, you know, you treat your sample data very seriously. Like your sample data is about public health, right? It's not jokey, and people don't have ridiculous names. And, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's more or less, it's, it's well,
0: some of them are ridiculous. Names. We have a sample uh, contact. His name is Mike Bacter, and his middle name is O, so it's like mycobacter, like mycobacterium, anyway.
1: Man, that is so. If that's is that what you meant by humor? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yes,
0: that's one level of it, but not not really the thing. And there's some other ones that are even funnier. Or, well, that are, are funny. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm I'm sure there are
1: some that are funny. Um, it's public health humor. Yeah, it's great. You were just down in Seattle speaking about um, uh, filemaker design patterns, and I think you know you know that I love you. But when you start talking about the public health data. After a while, it just gets inappropriate.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's not to me because I've been doing it for so long, but I recognize that. Like with Orpheus, you can't just show that application to anyone because the subject matter is something that people don't work. They don't think about all day, every day, like I've been doing. And, and you know, the sample data that you need to show kind of needs to be invoices and companies and line items and people, not diseases and transmission and contacts and, you know, the stuff that I work on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. The sample data thing. I mean, I think for a long time, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten to this thing of like, well, will always develop on a real data set, right? So you're not developing in a 10 record database. If you've got a million records, develop in a million record database, right? So you see the consequences right away. And I think a lot of people would get the fact that, you know, always develop with the customer's data. So that, you know, for example, if the f- contents of that field are routinely very long, you make that field routinely long and, and simple stuff like that. But most people don't do that, you know? I I mean, I get databases from people all the time. They're just obviously like gibberish data in like six records and something in me just knows. Like when I get that from someone, I'm like, this is not tested.
0: Yeah. 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 You have to use, it has to be representative data is what it has to be.
1: Exactly. Representative data. And your, your fake health data is definitely like that, right? It's, it's representative. Well, yeah.
0: The fake health data that I use is two years of actual real data with fake names thrown on top of it and, and fake details everywhere that details matter. But if you look at the counts of salmonella cases for 2009, they're going to be right.
1: Yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's cool. And so that way it's very, very representative. You know? You know, there's a certain amount of randomizing and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I think is always odd. You know, when we ship our products, we always ship them with sample data. And we're getting better about uh, creating an easy way to remove it. But you know, so many times I'll get an application for somebody or download a demo from someone and it's blank. And you're just like, what do I, what do I even do with this? What, how do I get started? What does it look like when I've been using it for a, a month or something? And so, uh, you know, sample data has a huge... And that's what's so great about the videos, right? Is that we can give that to the customer without this fear that, like, oh, my God, I can't make data in the customer's file. Right. And, you know, so they get to see something happening. And, right.
0: yeah, I don't know. The, the biggest aspect um, that I think is important about sample data is performance, right? So if you've got 1,000 records versus 100,000 versus a million a script that's going to work perfect up to several thousand records all of a sudden will just totally break when you get a certain record count and it's really hard to predict. You just don't really know it until you actually have done that. And that's, that's really bitten me in the past and been a really awesome learning experience. So that's one reason. And then the other thing is also security level. So if you've got record level security, And you always work in full access. Uh, You really got to have an account.
1: That's that's the thing is, you know, yeah, testing, testing in the real account. That's the other thing about movies. We have this little checklist for the movies now, right? So the movies will always be done under the user's account. The movies will always involve uh, resizing the screen at least once. The movies will always involve creating the, creating the, the whole process. So if we're talking about deleting an invoice line item, we make a new invoice, make the line item, and then delete it. We don't just arrive at an invoice that's already made. Because, you know, there's all these, you know, you never know. There are all these assumptions. You just keep catching stuff if you go through the whole process. I was talking to uh, Kate Lee about it today, and uh, I was thinking, even if the thing you're testing takes two minutes, like on the clock, looking at the stopwatch, two full minutes to recreate the situation by which you can press that delete button, that's no time at all. That's like nothing compared to the kind of bugs that that procedure might catch. Um, So the movie thing definitely felt like a little bit of an intrusion to some of our developers when we first started it, but... I don't know man. I think it's like it's part of the secret sauce now.
0: I like it. I'm gonna totally try it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 been pretty cool. Yeah.
0: What else is on your mind in the FileMaker universe or not in the FileMaker universe? I'll
1: tell you one thing that I'm I'm excited about. I was doing a lot of uh speaking recently. Um, user group stuff. And so I was kind of like in a hardware and software freeze, like don't update anything, you know? And, and then the iOS five updates kind of broke some stuff with Zulu and we had to recode for that. And so now that's done. I don't have any speaking. And so I'm kind of excited about like getting Siri and getting everything up on lion and just some of the, the newer software. So that'll be kind of, it'll be kind of fun because I feel like a, I feel like an old man running my non lion machine and with my old iPhone. And since, you know, Siri can make records in your calendar and Zulu can make those calendar records filemaker records you know siri can make records in filemaker and ask Siri what she thinks
0: about filemaker siri what do you think about filemaker
1: matt i don't understand it just doesn't work so the thing is is like about this pair programming stuff there's no doubt that the single best thing you can do to improve your programming is to do it on the train right being on the train is like being in jail. It's like a luxurious jail. You can't go anywhere. All you can do is work. But people bring you stuff, and the scenery is always moving.
0: Yep, and there's enough noise that it's the right amount of distraction, kind of like being in a coffee shop, but less so. You know, So you can't work in a totally silent place, and you can't work in a too, super loud place where you can't hear.
1: Yeah.
0: You have to have enough distraction to do that. And you're right. You can't really go. If you need to take a walk, you can. The
1: bathroom's there. The bar car. There's a bar car, right? Just like jail. <laughs> and it's 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 you know Todd and I did this thing we came up from Los Angeles to Seattle 33 hours right and so we would go to the car for dinner and their paper uh, tablecloths and so you sit across from uh, they see you with some other couple and uh, everybody thought that Todd and I were a couple they were very nice and it, towards the end of dinner you clean the plates out of the way you draw your ERD for what you're going to do next on the tablecloth take some pictures of it with your iPhone, go back and work for the rest of the day. And by the end of the trip, like the entire train knew that we were on this code sprint and we were trying to record a movie of what we did by the time we got to Seattle. And people were asking how it was going. And yeah, it was, it was, we got a ton done. Some of it we had to undo later because you know, you're, you're trying to code fast. Bar car. Yeah, there, was, there wasn't too much bar car. Half of our car. Right? This was good about working with Todd. He keeps me in check. Oh yeah, because he doesn't drink. Right, exactly. Exactly. And that was great. There was a kid on the train. I told the story to a couple of people. There's this little, did I talk about this? this no, the I kid. don't think so. Oh, my God. So, this is like a few days after, uh, a few days, maybe a week after Steve Jobs died. And um, we're on the train, and there's this seven year old kid and his father. And his father's been reading the kid various articles about Steve Jobs and about how, and explaining to the kid what Next was all about and why they threw him out and why he came back. And this kid's obviously very sharp. And just seemed a long time to be engaged in this topic for a kid so young. And so, he eventually asks us what we're doing on our iPads. And Todd tells him we're writing this app. And he says, I have an idea for an app. And I'm like, what? And his father kind of rolls his eyes. And he says, he says, I want to make a game that would use Google Street View to construct a race course so that you could race through the neighborhood you grew up in. And we're all like, wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. He's like, yeah. And the other cool thing is that since the iPad has a GPS in it, you could set the game to record mode. And it would record anywhere you were actually driving. So then you could race that course later when you got home. You know, we're both just kind of like, what was I doing when I was seven? I think I was literally making guns out of broomsticks. <laughs> I love that
0: idea for a nap. I don't even remember what I was doing when I was seven, but I, I, I can instantly flash in the streets I grew up on and learned how to drive on and right. how much fun and you know, how I saw them then and how I'd see them now.
1: I, I mean, you know, that the, the kid had not only the sense of what's, you know, kind of connecting the dots in an app like that, but that sense of nostalgia, you know that I may be projecting he, who knows what he you know. But, you know you know the really amazing thing about that is that's going to exist in a couple of years that app we'll see that god willing did you see that video on you on uh, it was a YouTube thing for a while you could it was a music video and you typed in a bunch of stuff about yourself and it played the video over the street you grew up on and all this stuff and it was it was very interesting it used headlines from you, you were you know turning 18 or 17 or whatever it was I don't know it was kind of moving in a herky-jerky way but um. I never saw it therefore it doesn't exist <laughs> Matt's search bubble is very narrow <laughs> Well,
0: that's like the, the, the joke if it, if it doesn't exist on Google, it doesn't exist, you know Absolutely right Page one, it's not on page one, it didn't happen Oh yeah, exactly, yeah, no one goes to the next page They just refine their search <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we were doing all day today John, thanks very much for your time Always great to talk to you
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, it's good to be here